0: Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, JP Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical.
1: Hi, this is JP Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. Welcome back to the Neurosurgery Podcast.
0: Today we continue in our mini series on neurosurgery families, and this is going to be a very special episode that's close to my heart. Uh, we are joined today by Ritwik Bhatia. Ritwik, welcome to the uh, podcast.
2: Thank you, Dr. Wang, for for generously having me on.
0: Yeah, so I've known you since you were you were small and you were a child, and um, your father Sanjeev was a friend of mine, and he was. Uh, partners with me and uh, here at University of Miami. And I first met him in 2000 when I was a fellow and he was a chief resident. And he went on to basically run the um, pediatric section here at University of Miami at the Nicholas Children's Hospital. And he was beloved. Um, I know that you have a lot of fond memories of your father. I I, I do as well. And for those who know him, uh, we all miss him dearly. I can tell you that If you were to take all of the neurosurgeons I've ever known, uh, he probably stands out as one of the most selfless individuals that I've ever met, whether it was how he spent his time caring for you and your brother or your mom or his patients or his staff uh, or the fellows in residence at Nicholas Children's. So we all miss him dearly. Um, But because we're talking about neurosurgery families and he was a neurosurgeon in your family, I wanted to introduce your entire family, although you're the only one with us today. Um, Your father was a neurosurgeon, but tell us a little bit about your mom and yourself and your brother.
2: Yeah. So my mom is a neuroradiologist um, attending at University of Miami-Jackson Hospital, um, which is where she also did her fellowship. And um, my, you know, my, our whole family moved together when my dad uh, started his uh, residency in neurosurgery. And then my mom got her fellowship here as well. And uh, she, you know, and she and my dad <laughs> shared a lot in common in regards to their work um, and their interests. Uh, my mom uh, still, you know, really enjoys her her collaborative cases with neurosurgery. Um, and uh, she, you know continues her clinical work um, and and teaching as well. my My brother um, is a senior at Georgia Tech, where he's studying biomedical engineering. Um, he is <clears throat> very interested as well in, in, in neuroscience, um, and I think probably, you know, he, he got that from, from our sort of family's curiosity and our work in the area, but um, he's sort of, I think, developing and going to develop his own little niche um, within biomedical sciences as well, perhaps with, you know, overlapping in um, the field of engineering and, and industry. Um, and myself, I am a um, fourth-year neurology resident at Jackson Memorial Hospital, University of Miami. Uh, and I will be doing a fellowship in Neurocritical Care starting next year at um, UCSF in San Francisco. So that's kind of us. Um, I don't know. I hope that answered your question.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And congratulations on that fellowship. It's obviously very prestigious. You know, obviously, as Dr. Wang said, and as we're here today to talk about families and neurosurgery, and as you describe everyone in your family, there's the obvious shared quality. You all seem drawn uh, through various routes to the nervous system and the care of the nervous system. Um, Do you have a sense of the the genesis of that trend in your family? Can you trace it back to anywhere in particular, or or was there just kind of a, a gravity and a pull for all of you? towards that that subject of study?
2: I think it's, it starts with my parents, for, of course, you know. Um, but I think all of us probably share, you know, uh, like Dr. Wang mentioned, you know, deep caring for, for other people, um, you know, including uh, members of our family. Uh, and we especially, you know, I would say my mom's side of the family uh, has – sort of, um, brought forward a tradition of spirituality. And I think that there is a lot that we can strive to understand about the brain and the mind and, uh, what we all share as individuals. Um, and my dad, you know, I think that he's the only one in his family who went into medicine and for him, he was more, I think, drawn to the practice and the discipline of neurosurgery specifically. Um, he is, he, you know, he, he had a curiosity for the brain as well, but I think that he he really um, liked the personas and the, um, the field of neurosurgery a lot. Uh, and I think that's, you know, um, what ultimately drew him to choose that subspecialty.
0: Yeah, your father was in some ways larger than life. And I know when you when you walk around the various UM hospitals or Jackson Memorial or Nicholas Children's, um, you know, you're, you're probably constantly reminded of him. And I believe, didn't they name a street after him outside the hospital?
2: Yeah, they did. They did. About uh, a year after uh, he passed away, uh, the Miami-Dade, one of the commissioners, city commissioners, um, I think her name is Miss Sosa. She uh, was and along with Dr. Ragab, um, who, who um, you know, spearheaded the effort to name uh, the street outside a new part of Nicholas Children's uh, after my dad. So that was um, you know really nice uh, and and something that we take family members to. My my daughter who was just born, we, we we took her there, you know, a few months after she was born to have, take a picture. Um, so she'll always have that as well uh, to remember him.
0: Yeah, it's a real testament to, to his impact on the community. And and you know, we often think about it that we are we're taking care of individual patients or maybe patients and their families. He was a pediatric neurosurgeon, right? Yeah. But I think the the naming of that street is a testament to his impact on a larger community here in South Florida and how important that was. And I I he died in his um was he sixty at the time? Yeah. Yeah, he was sixty. Yeah. So it's 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 premature, right? Because most of us see our lives extending beyond that. And I'm sure he had a lot of energy. He probably could have practiced into his late seventies or even maybe his eighties, right? And you think about that and you think about that compression of time and what that meant, that loss. Um, How has that influenced how you look at your own life or or the people around you?
2: Yeah. And I think probably now is a good time to just, I I don't think any of the listeners or maybe few of them will know actually the circumstances of his death. Um, but he, he died of a traumatic brain injury um, after he suffered a, a, unfortunately a very violent seizure. Um, and it was in the context of a, you know, brief illness that he had. And certainly there's a lot of ironies and in, um, in the way that he passed and where he passed was in the Jackson Memorial neuro see, which is where I, you know, um which is where I train um, a lot of the time. And, um, you know, I think that that impact um, is, I I would say that for a long time I thought about that and the, um, you know, horrific, unfortunate circumstance that uh, we found ourselves in, in the context of that accident. Um, But I think that as things have sort of, um, you know, time has passed and and I also got more experience taking care of those those patients, you know, with acute brain injuries. I think that uh, it gave me a, a newfound, um, not just respect for people taking care of those patients, which, uh, you know, who my dad was. He was the one taking care of those patients. Um, he had epilepsy um, and he was passionate and developed an expertise in taking care of kids with epilepsy, intractable epilepsy. So he had obviously a a shortened life. He was, like you said, very active, very healthy. And he planned to practice, you know, into his, um, I don't think he planned to really retire uh, from, from, from practicing neurosurgery. He was, you know, um, very, uh, he loved to, to, to operate. Um, But I think that it, at a subconscious level made me really treasure every moment that I had. Um, I'm thirty years old uh, and and you know was just around that age when he when he passed. and certainly, you know he had me around the same age and all and and I think about all that he was able to achieve and and sort of the um, the life he lived, you know, was very rich um and impactful and he took advantage of um, the opportunities that he was given and gave opportunities to other people as well. And although you know it it was cut short, I think that his legacy will outlast even his own um, projected career in in neurosurgery. And so I think that the the sheer impact of his, of his loss, I think, I hope should make people remember him even more strongly beyond,
0: um, you know, uh, beyond our careers. Yeah, I think you're right about that. When I think about the fact that, you know, I, I've known your dad for about 20 years. And during that time, you know, a lot of times we could have spent more time talking or arguing about, we and I would argue about stuff, politics and whatnot. And we had a good time with that always. He was, he was so wise and, and really, as you said, an amazing surgeon. He had, he was, he had gifted hands. And, um, I remember the day this happened, this tragedy and, and of course our department, you know, everybody rallied and tried to do everything they could for him. But, you know, sometimes the the burden of a disease is just too great. Um, but, but to see, you know, how you've gone into this field to me is inspiring. I, I could have envisioned just the opposite happening, which is you trying to turn away from it. But instead, I feel like you're, you're 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 not benefiting, but you're 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 using this almost to catalyze something that your dad would be so proud of, which is the further care, or maybe it's going to be innovation, maybe it's going to be something that you're going to do that's going to Going to really change the way patients are cared for with these types of devastating neurological illnesses. You feel that? I mean, you feel that he's kind of like watching you and and, and looking over you and guiding you in that way.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I uh, had to work in the, the neuro ICU where he where he passed. You know, months later, and I think I definitely felt um, that the impact of his his presence and. And his death there, you know, I was taking care of patients in his room where he passed, and that was a very um, emotional experience uh, being there as a as a loved one of a patient, but then taking care of someone else's loved one there. Um, it it initially, you know was um, was difficult, but I think that in times when we had patients, families uh, coming into the hospital pre pre COVID pandemic, I could really empathize with what what they were feeling, um, and I sort of use that um, in a way to to stay calm and poised for them, and um, but but also understanding uh, the the pain, the sorrow, the uncertainty that they were feeling. And um, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I I feel very close to him when I when I met Jackson in the neuro ICU. The nurses, obviously, there have been there for a while, and they um they they bring him up fondly um when he from when he was a resident there and i think that this is something that he also i was told you know later that he actually really liked neurocritical care um he liked taking care of those patients beyond the um the period the perioperative period and he um you know I think would have, you know, it would have been nice to talk to him about different cases, but, but of course, you know, I won't have the opportunity, but still, you know, I know he really cared for those patients as well, of which he was one.
1: You know, I wanted to ask you about this and and you briefly touched there on how this whole experience affected you uh, functioning in your professional capacity where you have this new unfortunate ability to relate with and emphasize, empathize with, uh, the families and friends of the patients you're caring for. Um, I, I wonder, did this experience, uh, drive the direction of your career at all, or did, did you already have an interest in neurocritical care within neurology? Um, and, and beyond that more globally, you know, you, you mentioned the ability to stay calm and, and think more about how you present, to and interact with these families, but maybe you could drill a little bit more deeply into how you would approach and talk to families uh, going through a a similar crisis, similar tragedy before and after this experience, and if if there's anything that possibly us and our listeners can glean from what you've learned uh, to improve our own practice.
2: Yeah, I, I appreciate that question um, because I think about that a lot. And for me, it's very it it's very simple. Um, what would you do if your family member had suffered that kind of devastating neurological injury? I, I think that you know I I in, inherently ask myself that question, but I think it's important to consciously ask ourselves that question every time uh, we step into a room with with a patient. Um, who suffered uh, an injury like that or a conversation with a family, whether it be over the phone, over video or, or in person. I think that it's important to ask ourselves that question before walking into an accountant like that. And I think it's important to to hear and listen and try to understand what that person is like prior to this um, prior to this injury, I think that, it offers the opportunity to learn more about who you're taking care of, but also what that person prioritizes in his or her life. Um, and it gives the family an opportunity to also share um, share their loved one with you. He, he's not, you know, or she is not just a person who's intubated on these mechanical ventilation settings, on these drips, with this exam, you know, with 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 this, um, post, uh, or, you know, hospital course, it's, it's about more than that. And I think that if we approach our patients and our families with an understanding that, you know, this is not just a patient, but a human being and a person, uh, could be one of our, our loved ones, our fathers, our mothers, our siblings, our, ch- our children, then I think it, 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 it shouldn't, uh, um, sort of paralyze you and, make you too emotional, but it should, I think, um, make your care more uh, holistic, um, but also, you know, very purposeful.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of the memoirs of um, the late Paul Calanthe, right? Obviously, uh, have you read that book? Uh, I've I read part of it. Yeah, my dad read it. Um, and a lot of
2: people in my family have read it.
0: Yeah uh, yeah I, I'm
2: I'm yeah exactly that was another very ironic sort of situation um and unfortunately those are the stories that people remember and and he was obviously a very gifted writer um and uh Yeah. Sorry.
0: You were going to say something else. No, no. I was just going to say for some of the listeners that don't know, Paul Calanthe was a resident in neurosurgery when he developed uh, metastatic lung cancer and he wrote his memoirs as he was being treated and dying. And, um, it was a book called when breath becomes air and, uh, his, his widow and he had children, his widow has spoken uh, about, you know, this process. And, um, my, um, one of my closest friends, Stephen Chang, who uh, got, really got me into neurosurgery when I was a medical student at Stanford, he, he knew Paul very well. And there was a lot of debate uh, as to whether or not they would let him graduate from residency even after he he had already died, right? He didn't. He apparently had not finished residency and whether he should be posthumously awarded sort of like a graduate status and all that. And it, it's very complicated. Of course, with, with your father, it was so sudden and so unexpected and so tragic. But I think there are no fewer lessons. I mean, it's, there, there may be even more lessons in the case of your father for all of us listening today. Um, And and you've highlighted that well. I'm just going to add... Um, that your father, Sanjeev Bhatia, has a fund, an honor your mentor fund at the Neurosurgery Research and Education Foundation, the NREF, which is part of the AANS, the philanthropic side. It is very close to the uh, amount it needs to be able to disperse funds. And I'll, I'll just read the purpose of it. This was actually set up in 2018 by the executive committee of the AANS section on, um, a, AANS CNS joint section on pediatrics. So John Ragab and Mark Krieger, both of whom have been on this podcast administer that and, and, and manage that for your uh, for your father, if you will. And the fund is intended, and this is exactly how it reads, quote, to fund an international pediatric neurosurgery and or pediatric epilepsy surgery traveling fellowship and or a Bhatia lectureship and or a pediatric neurosurgical medical mission, uh, end quote. So I think that is a very admirable um Cause to the spirit of how your father lived. So, if anybody listening out there is interested in supporting that, uh, please reach out to the NREF, NREF.org, and, and they can donate. It's very close to being able to disperse. And I know your father really wanted to support uh, folks from the third world. He traveled himself, right? He frequently traveled to Haiti to do surgery.
2: Yeah, yeah, he did. And that was something that was very close to his heart. You know, Haiti is is just a short plane ride here, but the circumstances, you know, in which those patients live is totally different, obviously. And he really, you know, valued, um, you know, mentorship, especially as an immigrant neurosurgeon himself. Um, He not only benefited from, you know, great mentors in India and um, in the United States, particularly Miami, but um, I think this is a, a really fitting tribute to Something that was very important to him, which was which was mentorship to advance your career, um, for the care of patients across the world.
1: You know what? A, what a beautiful uh, memorial and a beautiful way to commemorate his career and his life and those passions, as you said, for the care of uh, patients and the care of education uh, for everyone around the world. I, I wonder as as we you know we discuss these professional aspects of our lives and and how this whole experience has affected your practice and your, your direction in your career. I wonder if we could turn away from, from thinking about the work side of things, uh, the work side of, of us as people. And instead just think about, you know, your dad was someone that I I also was, I, I was fortunate enough to be a medical student in Miami and have a chance to meet him, do some, a little bit of work with him, but get to know him mostly just at meetings and speak with him. And so I wonder if, if, we could talk a little bit about just you and he as as people, as father and son, not as neurologist and neurosurgeon. I wonder if you could tell us just a little bit about him as a dad, any uh, favorite memories or, or any stories that really encapsulate who he was as a father outside of the work context.
2: Yeah, so when he was... Um... When, when I was younger, you know, he was trying, you know, to obtain a residency position in the United States after he was trained in India. Um, and I didn't really, you know, understand uh, how difficult that, that must have been until much later. But our, you know, um, and, and I think that's also a testament to how he was at home. He really didn't bring a lot of his um, stress, worries uh, home, all that much, even though he definitely could have. Um, I think sometimes it, it, you know, it it did uh, come, you know, and and he would he would talk to us about about it. He wouldn't really shy away from it. But he, uh, I guess I'll, I'll 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 give a few stories. One thing that we really like to do in um, in Boston, which is where uh, we started out in the United States. He used to take me to the the science museum, and he was a very curious individual. He liked to learn about all sorts of things, as Dr. Dr. Waring alluded to earlier, science, politics, history. Um, But he wanted me to uh, also um, benefit from all the ideas, all the new innovations and um, exhibits that were being shown there. We went there, I would say you know multiple times a year you know and and together and those are very fun memories um and I think I also um shared with him what it means to grow up in America by developing um you know a passion for for baseball we used to go to Red Sox games as well which um and he didn't really play you know he wasn't the kind of dad to play catch or anything uh uh, he, but he, he he played baseball, but he actually taught me how to play cricket. And one time we, which is a similar game to baseball, practiced you know um, abroad. And I remember one day we went to a park in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and he and a lot of kids around came, started to 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 um, be interested in the game that we were playing. And he he ultimately taught a lot of children. Um, cricket that, you know, a few evenings, uh, or on the weekend. Um, and I don't think a lot of people know that story, but, um, that was just some, that was just a, you know, a story I really just thought of now. I don't really think about that much, but, uh, it was just a moment where he was sharing something from his childhood, um, to people here and they, they, I think really enjoyed it. Um, and then later on, you know, I, when i used to come home from medical school or college especially you know towards the end of his life um we would go on long walks just talk about you know the profession and balancing you know work and 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 life and and i remember towards the end he developed uh you know a lot of hobbies outdoors uh playing tennis going on walks runs he really enjoyed that so um, and we 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 did share in those activities, which I really cherish. Um, and and as a father now myself, I re- I recall how gentle and and kind and patient he was with all of us. Um, and uh, he always you know brought a sense of humor. But you know, there's obviously times where balancing medicine and family is difficult. And certainly, it was challenging. I know for him at times, but. I think just he was able to persevere, especially, you know, as a, as a dad of two children when he was a neurosurgery resident. So that, that always, you know, inspires me as well. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly a big loss for us, um, but his legacy definitely lives on, you know, um, in, in our everyday, how we do things with each other and um, how we treat the people around us
1: what beautiful memories to share. And, and actually, you know, we're, we're going to have to wrap shortly here to respect your time, but what you touched on right there at the end is, is kind of the closing thought I wanted to to put to you is that, you know, we we're, we're so grateful that you're willing to come on and talk with us about your dad and your relationship with him and all these various ways that he impacted you and, and your family and his community. But I wonder if as we wrap this conversation up, we can, um, Focus on you now and your family. And, and as you said, just like your dad, you're a father while in your own training. And you obviously had such wonderful opportunity, uh, opportunities to learn from him and gain lessons from him, not only professionally, but just as a man, uh, as a human, as a father. And so I, I wonder if you can speak just briefly about what it what your experience is like uh, being a father, having, starting and raising your own family while in training and going through these extreme life experiences, uh, as we said earlier, than you would expect them to come, and just what what that's like to be raising children at this period of your life.
2: Well, I can say that it's very enjoyable. I think that our daughter Samsara has brought uh, a lot of joy in our life, and and has honestly. F- filled a lot of the void that my dad left. He was a very positive person, very joyful, you know, happy, and our daughter is just the same way. So we like to think of, you know, her as sharing a lot of his traits and some of him, you know, um, and we feel very lucky that she's, that, and a lot of that is, is that that's how she was when she was bored And she's, she's, I hope she will stay like that. But, um, you know, for my mom, especially, um, it's great to have her around and, um, uh, and, and for, for me, you know, I take every day, um, very, um, you know, I'm very grateful for, for the time that I'm able to spend with her. Um, but I also know that, you know, it's an important time of my training and, and he would have also wanted me to, take full advantage of my opportunities, but I, I know that, um, he would have really, uh, enjoyed seeing uh, how I, how I am as a father with my daughter. And I, and I'd like to think that, you know, he's, he's, um, part of this now still as well.
1: Well, Ritwick, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and sharing with us your experiences and, uh, all of these events and your perspective on it and how it's affected you. Obviously, uh, these can be sensitive topics, but, you know, we're, we're so grateful that you're willing to come on and talk about this and, and share this deeply personal side of your life with not just us, but our listeners. And I hope that uh, everyone listening can, can gain a little bit and learn a little bit from all this, just as we have talking with you today. So thanks for coming on the Neurosurgery Podcast.
2: Thank you for having me. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity.